Hi, I'm Brian Boger. Welcome to my podcast, Flipping the Lid. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, and well, just a human being like you. I've faced personal tragedy, significant trauma. I've dealt with shame, anger, and self-doubt, all of which have created a ripple effect of damage in my world. I'm grateful that I've learned the importance of looking and going inside to create, repair, unpack, and reach levels of success that I never believed possible. Now as a coach, keynote speaker, and author, I'm fascinated by the stories that have shaped some of our world's most significant and successful individuals. So we're gonna flip the lid and take a look inside the stories that have shaped their lives and success and we'll be featuring a number of individuals who have literally flipped the lid in their lives and businesses. Welcome to Flipping the Lid. Let's go jump in. Welcome back, everybody. You know what we do here on Flipping the Lid. We jump deep inside the stories that have shaped some of the most significant, successful people creating impact in the world. Really cool part is, is sometimes we get opportunities to feature and interview people who have had massive amounts of impact on the world, are now doing it behind the scenes in ways that we may may or may not even talk about, but have really gotten into a place of life that impact is really about where their focus is on them, finally. And so when we understand how to go inside, how to really start to move things around, understand the value of our past and can understand how the traumas have shaped so many pieces of who we are, the trash from our past, right? It also creates the treasures. And today we have a very good friend of mine that has had an impact on my life that I actually met virtually on her podcast right after COVID. And we just had an instant connection. And I felt this element of trust, security, and safety with her that I have not with many. Not just because of what she'd done historically, but because of who she was and how she showed up for me. And so though she's in a completely different place in her life now, and I'm super happy for where she's at and where she's going, I want her in this chair today because she has changed so many lives, mine included. So Shannon... I'm so happy to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. I'm so happy you finally have a podcast. You know, you've been on so many and you make such an impact, but to have your own and to be able to lead the conversation, I'm, I'm re- I was really excited to come out and do this. I'm having a lot of fun. I bet. And, you know, it's for me, it's a really big shift because like there's only so many podcasts that I can go on before I feel like I just get redundant. Again yeah. Again, right. I'm always looking for ways to create new ways of saying something or creating a little impact in those micro moments. But at the same time, you know, largely for the last period of time, I was more interesting than interested. And that's not how I view the world nor how I've ever approached it. And so what's funny is I've always said my entire adult life that I'm only as good as my questions. Yet I got for a while there into only giving answers. That is so (laughs) interesting. I'm always talking to people. I, you know, I'm a psychologist in Denver, so uh, with a private practice. And I always talk to people about that being interesting and interested because people are always dating and looking for that person. And that is an interesting thing about podcasts. Yeah, you are very interesting. So now we'll get to see how you're interested. It's, it's just fun. And so yeah. that's, I, you know, we were, I think, 30 plus episodes in by now. We've only released yeah. four. Yeah. But I will tell you that the conversations just continue to get better. And yeah. I'm really enjoying the rhythm because, again, it's it's not about me. Yeah. It's about the stories that need to be told and how it's having transference and transformation just because people are willing to go there, right? And and you yeah. know as well as yeah. I do that, especially in the public eye or in podcasts or in those things, there's a lot of conversations that are not normalized. Yeah. And so we're going to get into depth in that in a second. Yeah. But you know, I quickly introduced you based on how I see you. But yeah. what I didn't involve in there is that I also know that your number one role is as a mother. 
And, and there are so many other ways that you show up in your world. And so I like to ask everybody, who are you in your words? Gosh, in my words, especially right now, because I'm in such a period of transition. Um, definitely a mom. I have four kids. Um, I two step kids, but I think of them as my kids, just as much as my biological kids. Um, I'm a psychologist. Um, I'm a nature lover. I used to say I'm an athlete, but I think that's stretching it a little bit at this point. Um, love to be outdoors, skier, hiker. Um, I don't know, like good friend. I, the, the part that I'm just opening the door to that I'm really excited about is, um, for the first time in my life, I'm really trying to experience creativity. And it's a bizarre place because you know how we kind of get roles in our family. Yeah. My role was the athlete and the, and the, uh, student. Mm. So I got, went to school, got a master's, got a PhD, worked, was my dad's kind of boy, super mm -hmm. fast skier, driver, you know, all that stuff. And there was never any space in my life for creativity. Mm. And when I was doing the podcast and starting to write newsletters, I was kind of like, I think I like this. Um, and I'll tell you, yesterday I finished my first book. I knew you were working on it. I just finished it. I'm so excited. It's just, it's a fiction right. book, but it was so fun to do. It was so fun to make a story, write it, create it. No, no rules, no rules, no limits, no, no path. I'm not a writer. I didn't get an MFA. I don't have a degree in it. Like who, who the fuck am I to do it? <laughs> who, who, like, but I just did it. So. Which I love. Yeah. Like that's, I think really what I was trying to highlight as well as I like that. That's what I've loved about getting to know you in the last couple of years is I feel like you've just really shifted into embracing all of who you are. Yeah. Maybe for the first time in your life. For sure. And, and though I don't know that for sure, that's, yeah. that's what I feel yes. as I've watched you kind of step into this new place. Yeah. I, you know, creativity has come up a lot in conversation, yeah. specifically on this show, which is really interesting because I used to believe that I wasn't creative. I, I, sh I share that. Right. I, I share that. Like I literally was yes. like, man, I wish I was creative. I wish I could like put something together like I'm and I would minimize right. whatever I believed I could do because I was like you a doer yeah. yes. right and yes. performance and mm -hmm. really focused on the outside that I had denied so many elements of who I was that I think all of us are inherently creative there was a guy on the show the other yeah. day who said he, he he defined us as like he's like humans he's like I don't even like human beings I don't like these he's like we're creatures Yes. And he described like what creature meant to him. And then I wrapped up to him and I said, you know, what's really beautiful about that is I do believe that there's a root connection there between creature and creative. Yeah. Because yes. We are creative creatures and that's how we flow through our consciousness, I believe. Yes. So can you talk about, since you identify with yeah. that, like, how did you start to discover that you didn't believe you were creative? And where did you start to give yourself permission to be able to lean into that side of you? Yeah. That's such a good question. Um, I think that what's interesting when I tried to trace it back, I thought about when, you know, that classic, I don't know if they still do it. You have younger kids than I do. But when I was in school, they'd like make you bring a diorama mm. or some stupid thing. in. So you have an art project you're supposed to do at six and some kids do a good job and some kids don't. And those kids are the creative kids from then on out. Right. And if you weren't good at making your little diorama, you're like, 
I'm not the artistic one. And then somehow that gets linked with like, I'm not a creative. Yeah. I, I don't know. For me, that's how it, it worked. My sister was artistic and I wasn't. And I, school came very easily to me. So I was just the, that kid. And so I think you know that I had some pretty big, I, I, I hesitate to say trauma. I had a really tough thing of 10 years ago that happened to me. Um, and my world kind of blew up. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I wanted to write about it. I felt, I felt like I do one on work, one work all the time. I love it, but I kind of wanted something more. Yeah. And I thought, I just went through this thing. I could share it. And it might be healing to also write about it. So I started writing about it. I started the podcast because I started working with a consultant who was like, oh, if you want a book, you got to be on social media. You got to get followers. You have to, you have to have a podcast. You have to do this. Start down this path that somebody else, once again, just like the, I, I probably shouldn't use no, bad no, language. By the way, <laughs> I'm, I'm Irish. Almost every single episode okay. and some yeah. stuff too. But everybody yeah. drops like at least one up on there. Like, wait, can I cut? I mean, yeah, yes. Talk yeah. To so, so, you know, it was once again, and I think women, I'm not saying men don't have this, but women in particular in our culture, we have to follow rules. There are just rules set from every minute. You have to change everything about your appearance every day. You have to, you know, they just created body makeup. Like we don't have to just put makeup on our faces. Anyway, digress. So, you know, by the way, I'm a father of a daughter and I'm very passionate about this stuff myself. So please keep preaching because it's important. So anyway, I, I start doing all this stuff and I'm going through the motions because everybody's telling me what I need to do to get this story out. In order for somebody to hear the story that I want to write that might help people, I have to become a podcaster and a social media person and talk about my expertise and taking tragedy and really still embracing happiness um, and how to do that, which I can do. And I help people to do every day. And I hated it all. I didn't hate the podcast the hour that I spoke to people. Yeah. Because that's what I do in but my private practice. But I hated yeah. social media. I didn't like yeah. posting. I, I felt like the way I used to live my life was I'd get up and I'd go for a hike or I'd go skiing. And then I'd, you know, cook a meal and then I'd go work for four hours. And then I, and I enjoyed it all. And then when I was doing social media, I was never in it. Mm. I would be skiing thinking, of, where should I take the fucking picture? Uh, should I stop over here? Yeah. Do I have to do a video now? Do I? Have... And so anyway... I finally just decided one day, I don't have to do this yeah. and I'm not going to do it. And it, I think part of it was, it wasn't quite authentic. You, you caught that so early with me. You're like, girl, you're not showing, <laughs> you are not showing who you really are. And I was like, cause I hate it. And that's really what it was. But it was also that I didn't want to write nonfiction. And I did, it took, it took all those years and doing a podcast and questioning the way people do it to really get comfortable saying, I'm not doing things the way people want me to. Not now, not ever again. Mm-hmm. And so I, I basically got off. I don't, I don't care. I wrote a book. If it works, great. If it doesn't, great. It was really fun to do it. Um, and that's kind of how I want to live now. And so creativity is kind of like, it's the place I've never been before. When I was writing that book, I would lose time. Yeah. I've never had that. I've been a doer. I've been like, I'm going to do this for an hour and then I'm going to do the podcast and I got to do some research. Then I'm going to go spend time with my kids and then I'm going to go for a run and then I'm going to yeah. train for the Lift thing, 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 thing. I would start writing and I would look up and I'd be like, oh my God, 
I'm going to be late for my, you know, that's never happened to me. And I that's think I know, and it's really, really mm -hmm. enjoyable. And so I had a friend who's an artist kind of, kind of tracking back to the, um, to the diorama. And I said to her, I really want to do more creative stuff. Cause she's a, she's a creative. That's what I kind of think of her. And I said, I just not good at it. And she's like, why does everybody think art is something you're born with? Yeah. She said, you have to go learn. You have to go learn just like it to learn psychology or learn. Sure. So here I am. That's kind of my plan. I love that. I have to tell you a funny story about the diorama that we did last <laughs> okay. because it was for my son. And I, and then there's a lot of depth in what you just said. So I, I've got some very specific things that I want to bring back, but it was hilarious last weekend. So Blake came home. He was super nervous. And he said, like it was due on the Monday, but people had brought it in the week before, like overachievers. They were ahead of the curve, like all this stuff. Right. right. So he's like stressing out now because his isn't even started until the weekend before, even though we've known about it. And it just is what it is. He's like me. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and he comes home and he's like, you know, like there's like lights on them. There's like people are like, they've like made them work. They're like interactive. He's like, there's no way that these kids did that themselves. I'm at school with them every day. I know what they're capable. <laughs> we were like, we were like, yeah, yeah, true. good point. So, so, so then, like, we we have this belief, like, we're gonna have our kids do it as well as they can. But obviously, my son's also on the spectrum. He's got generalized anxiety disorder, sensory processing disorder. He's got executive functioning issues, impulse control issues. Like, getting him to sit down to a diorama <laughs> in extended windows is just we're not gonna yeah. find it, right? No. And so, like, my wife and I jump in and help. Well, my wife ended up helping with probably half of the diorama, and. And he like just gave up at some point. Yeah. But at the end, he said, you know, mom, I, I think it's really cool because like everybody else's looked like their parents did. Mine looks like a nine-year-old did it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm in the other room and I hear this and I start dying laughing. That's and she hilarious. goes, shut it in there. <laughs> that is really funny. I do. I remember my daughter having that same moment. I, we pick up carpool. This girl sitting next to her with her diorama and my daughter's looking at hers, which is a shitty diorama and it's fine because she's whatever right. but she did she went like this you didn't make that diorama this is amazing. <laughs> you know, yeah. and like you know and i mean my son's also brutally honest and it's like it's so it just is like and for him there was no judgment and he's like this is amazing like mom you helped me make it <laughs> well you tell like ashley i would really i would struggle to get to that nine-year-old so she, she she did well she started dying laughing she's like well thanks son like, yeah. thank you buddy thank you um I love that description of like losing yourself in time. Yeah. You know, I find that the more I've surrendered in life and the more I let go of expectations of structures yeah. that I've lived in, the more even my perception and belief on time has changed. Oh, right? I, I believe that I used to always believe like the only thing we can't create more of is time. But I also didn't believe in bending it, manipulating it, or losing yourself in it, which can hmm. all blend our perception of time. Yeah. So I'd love to know for you, you've never experienced that, mm -hmm. right? You've lived a full life already today. Yeah. You've had a lot of experiences. You've got grown children. Yeah. And you've never experienced that. No, never had. So take us into that moment. And describe what you were experiencing while you were losing the perception of time and how that has correlated to your surrender in your life. Oh, gosh, that's good. Um, I think that what's been interesting, this 
fascinating process for me with writing. Um, the reason I love it is because I have a general plan for what I'm going to go write about. Like here we are in this scene of the story. Um, so it's a ghost story, just to let you know, which is... I can't wait to read it. I, I love... Well... If I get to. <laughs> the bravest thing I ever did was just send it out. I just sent it to a friend of mine who's a professional TV writer. And I was like, wow, that was, that was big for me. But the losing time thing is like, I would sit and I would think, oh, today I'm going to write the scene that comes next. She's going to the, the house where this entity is. Yeah. And I would some interactively something else that I hadn't ever even been thinking about would come, would just come to me, like downloaded in my brain. Isn't that amazing? And I would end up writing about something that I hadn't, it, where did that come from? Where did that idea, you know? Um, and it happened over and over and over again. And I started talking to my friends who are writers and they were like, oh yeah, sometimes a character will show up that you thought was going to walk by and they'll make themselves known. Like this is well-known. Yeah. These are well-known phenomenon to, to people who do this. And it was totally, it's totally novel for me. Mm. Um, and I think that's a, a weird place where when you've lost time, there's something happening that you've opened up to something bigger than yourself. And maybe it's, I'm not saying spiritual necessarily. Maybe it's a part of your brain that you allow to come in for a moment. Maybe it's the right hemisphere that's yeah. getting a little room. I don't know what it is, but it's, um, it's so satisfying. It's like something, something is literally being created and you are a part of it, but you're not in control of it. If that makes any it sense. Makes complete sense. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, I just genuinely believe that that's like the deepest level of connection you can have with yourself and whatever source you believe in. Yeah. If it's the universe, God, Allah, whatever, right. Right? right? Like, I think the expression of creativity and surrender is freedom for so many people. Yeah. But it's so scary, yeah. right? It's so it, scary it is. for so many people. Let me tell you a story. It's funny because one of the podcasts I did, it was with a guy who was talking about how, the power of what you create and the magic in creating something is that you get to do it. And if it's authentic, it's really, it's really unique. Think about that. If it's something that comes from you, yeah. when you're not trying to copy other people, you're just being you, then that's unique. And when you put it out in the world, then you have to let it go and you don't know what it's going to do. And I was talking to a man and he, he was, you know, a creator, he was a writer, he'd, he'd had addiction. And he talked about how he used running to help um, heal from his addiction. And that he was out running and listening to a Broadway musical, the Dear Evan Hansen, which I don't know if you've read, it's brilliant, brilliant musical, and listening to one of the songs and like stopping in the road and crying because he felt seen and understood. That guy who wrote that musical has no idea that a man eight years later stopped on a road and cried because he felt heard and seen. And that's what I think is so powerful, you know, but I think the process is, can you get quiet or authentic or have to be like me and go through 10 years of sidetracking to get to like, 
oh yeah, this is, this is actually authentic. You see, I can talk about this in a way I couldn't couldn't. when I was just talking about the happiness research, which I'm passionate about, but I didn't like, I didn't like selling it. Yeah. You know, I'm a clinician, not a salesperson. I had to realize that. Um, and you and I have talked about that before, but we have, yeah. Yeah. I I think that's beautiful. Even the way you just talk about it, because it is, I, I, again, I used to not identify as being creative, but I'm highly creative in many, many ways. I'm very creative in my words. I'm very creative in the images that I can create. I'm very creative in the way that we describe frameworks that help people heal and move. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because that, that, like, I literally had like hairs go up on the back of my neck when you said that about him stopping in the thing, because, and it comes full circle to even to you saying like the beginning of this with the podcast, a guy literally just posted on, on our YouTube channel on the very first episode, which is actually me. Yeah. I've listened to it. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the feedback we've been getting on that episode alone, which is really powerful. And I'm so happy my wife is in it with me. Because yeah. I've told lots of those stories many times through my lens only. And there's a different depth that's there. But I got a YouTube comment that literally just said, in my entire life, I have never been so resonant with any message, right. anything that's ever been said. And he's like, and it's moved me. Wow. Yeah. And, and I don't yeah. say that to impress and brag. I'm saying it because... What's also really funny is I, you know, I've been seeking alignment and I've been seeking congruence at like the deepest level for myself since you and I've known each other, but yeah. really for a long time before that, yeah, like yeah, you yeah. have spent well more than a decade trying to repair. As a friend, you'll appreciate this when I tell you, um, Friday, so two days ago, marked one month completely pain-free for me. I've not had a day without pain in almost 31 years. How, what, how did you do it? What's so I believe it's the level of alignment that's been created in our life. That's amazing. And a lots of healing work and meditation and consciousness work and that I'm still actively in and exploring. And it's not like I've arrived because there's no final destination. But what's interesting is I was very aware within seven to 10 days of that. And I had an intuitive healer that was on the show who brought it up. That's amazing. And it was really interesting because she said, you know, I feel like you're a road bike right now that's just hitting a little bit of gravel or it's like a rough road. And you're just looking for that smooth pavement. Like you're in flow, you're there, you're still high speed, but it's just like little tiny bumps. Yeah. And at the time I thought it had to do with my relationship with money. When she said this, it was like a week, this was three weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, so I think this is where it is. And this is what happened because we got hit hard last year. Yeah. And we're, we're good. We're recovering. It's like, we're, we're in a good spot, but it also caused a lot of reflection, even in some of those areas that I've never even thought about like money, because we were so secure for so long. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, we're tight. But what was interesting right. is what she reflected back to me is my belief wasn't about the money in that moment. The resistance wasn't rooted in that. It's that I haven't experienced a day in almost 31 years without pain and a weekend I was questioning when the next, when the shoe was going to drop and the pain was going to come back. I was questioning my belief and existence on whether or not I could actually live pain-free. Right. That's amazing. And so I'm still working through that because that's the final layer of my relationship with pain. But at the same time, like you are someone who has deep expertise in trauma work. You have deep expertise in the science, in the psychology and the cellular memory that actually exists for trauma in so many ways. I recently just learned that there's over 40,000 brain-like cells in the heart that are called sensory neurites. Hmm. And they've studied these recently and shown that if people go to therapy 
and intellectually talk about their problems alone and they don't actually feel the associated feelings and embody it down here, that those 40,000 cells in the heart don't heal and neither does the person. Do you know, I love that you said that because there's a thing where, I mean, as you know, gratitude is a huge piece of being happy. Like the, and I'm not talking about happy as a, as a feeling. I'm talking about happy as your climate. Yes. Um, you can be having a very sad day and have a happy climate. Absolutely. But it, I was just reading about gratitude work. And I wonder if this is those, those cells you're talking about, because one of the keys to gratitude is not making a list. It you have to stop and you have to let it hit your heart. You have to not just go, I'm happy that today I got to spend with my good friend, Brian, in a different city. You have to like, let it sink. Yes. Um, I'm so happy you said that because I literally for the last three months, there have been multiple pieces of content that we've released where I'm like, stop just convincing yourself intellectually that you're grateful. Stop saying, I'm going to just choose to be grateful. I'm going to write down all my grateful stuff because until you actually embody gratefulness and gratitude... Yeah. It won't actually be real in your life. You're just intellectually fabricating, which is that mental and intellectual shift that we always put in place to protect ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You're an expert in this space. Can you talk about some of the science, but bring your intuition, experience, and both sides as a clinician and as someone who's healed to the process of healing from a trauma or perceived trauma? Yeah. I mean, there are so many routes to healing from trauma. That's what's so beautiful about, um, about research and different, I mean, different cultures heal trauma in different ways. There are, um, Bessel van der Kolk is kind of the guru. He's kind of the biggest trauma researcher of our time. And what he'll tell you is that, uh, you know, his book, our, you know, our body keeps score, keeps Mm -hmm. the score. We hold trauma, unlike a lot of um, mental illness or struggles uh, that that people have emotionally, trauma is physical. It's physiological. When you have a trauma, it changes the size of some of your brain structures. It changes your nervous system. It creates problems with such fundamental things like sleep and um, the ability to be calm. Uh, And there are everything from healing rituals where a group, a tribe, a village comes together and dances and talks and cries, but they're moving their body to work trauma out. There's EMDR, which is what I do, which is a, a bilateral processing um, that that is effective. It's it's kind of like when your eyes move at night when you're sleeping and you're like, why? Yeah. Um, if I stopped you from dreaming which is where your eyes do that, but let you sleep the exact same number of hours, you would not function as well. You wouldn't concentrate. You wouldn't be, you wouldn't uh, function emotionally as well. So look, there's, there's a million ways to heal, but they're all about connecting your body with the trauma and then helping it to work through so that your, your memories can be You can still think about the trauma, but you won't be forced by your body to experience it. Um, And I know that's a brief answer, but it's a really complex. I really, those last few sentences, like if that, I mean, we're going to make that a clip. I guarantee it because no, I'm serious because it is so succinct. It's so real. And that is where most people, myself included. I mean, when I went into my head, I shut off physical pain because it exceeded my ability to cope. I shut off emotional pain, spiritual pain, and mental pain 
for 20 to 25 years and I didn't know it. Did you, can I tell you a story about that? Yes. Since that, on my podcast I did with you, you talked about that. It was really life-changing for me. Um, I hadn't done it. I had never shut down. I'd been traumatized as, as when I lost everything. I mean, literally lost everything, uh, you know, like 12 years ago, but we're going to talk about that. By the way. Um, but last year my father died and he had been very sick for a long time and it was at the end and it was really just heart wrenching because yeah. he, he was a brilliant Harvard Yale man who's valued his intellect and he lost his ability to speak and he lost it. He couldn't communicate. So it was heart wrenching. Yeah. And my husband's father was dying at the very same time. So he was gone. And so we were losing the most two pivotal people in our lives. And I felt kind of, I knew intellectually, of course, my husband has to go be with his father and I'm here, I'm doing what I have to do, but it just, it was just bad. And I realized about two months ago that I was totally numb and I hadn't even realized it. I, t I absolutely thought about you. I thought, because like a couple things happened yeah. and my husband and I were, were kind of fighting. We both had jet lag. We just got into France. And usually if, if something's off, I'm pretty aware of it. I get a little elevated. Yeah. I might get a little like, well, we need to talk. I was just like, whatever. And that was the moment I went, oh my God, I'm totally numb. Yeah. That in that nine months of dealing with all these deaths and moving back and taking care of four adult kids, I had just emotionally shut down. And what, what I should have noticed, I was tired. I was tired all the time. And that's so not like me, you know, and I'm looking for the right vitamin to take and didn't. Well, because that's what most people do. It's like, yeah. Oh, I'm stuck. I'm not feeling right. What's the external strategy yeah. or tactic I can improve my life with. Right. When so often it's really in here that we've got to go. And so thank you for saying that. I thank you for saying that it helped you connect in that moment and realize yeah. like where, where you were, yeah. you know, and again, you're someone who's been around a lot of trauma, experienced a lot of trauma and helped many unpack trauma. Yeah. Right. And, and I know that as someone who helps people move energy and heal, yeah. I've absorbed a lot of it. And a lot of it, I wasn't able to separate between my own and theirs for a right. long time, let alone not even be able to absorb it to begin with. Right. right. So you've been around a lot, but one really recognizable place that you had a huge impact was you were on the trauma response team for Colin. Yeah. You talked about community healing and movement and mm -hmm there truly was a community at that time that, that had to come together yeah. in a variety of ways. So can you talk about your experience in that process at the time? Yeah. And what impact do you think that experience left on you, your knowledge and your cellular memory as it relates to trauma? Mm, well, I mean, I was young. I was when Columbine happened. I mean, in terms of like my career, yeah. I think I was, I just had gotten my doctorate. I was working for a company as part of my like postdoctoral hours. And it, it was a police psychology group. Um, so we would do everything from pre-employment interviews, you know, and we would uh, do trauma debriefings in the jails and police department anytime there'd been a shooting and so we have all these contracts and this was back in the day of beepers. And I'll never forget being like at the office, five other professionals. And all of a sudden, all of our 
beepers were going off, which just didn't happen in our, we'd usually get a call from the boss, like, I need you to go out and run this group. I need you to go do a trauma debriefing and, and Columbine, it just happened. And we had, um, we had the contracts for the police department. Um, and I just, we all started getting calls of people who, so, you know, we all got together to talk about what, what kind of response do we want to have? And I didn't do the, the trauma debriefing for the people on scene for that, but I started working with people with real, real trauma. I'll never forget. I worked with one of the dispatch people. Mm. You think this is not somebody who came. She was on the phone with crying children, Mm. kids at the school saying, come in, like, come help us. We're in here. They wouldn't come in. You know, they had shooters in there. They were afraid that it was a, it was a total shit show. Um, Everybody who's a parent, by the way, the second you just say that, like every cell in my body just felt that. Oh God. Can you imagine? I can't, I don't know how you're doing. I don't know how you're sending your kids to school right now. It's still, I'm so done with America. I just, but anyway, that's another topic. But (laughs) anyway, the, um, I realized in that moment, like you, you can't mess around with this. Like you have to go get more training. You have to. And so I, that really inspired me to continually work on, you can get a PhD in psychology and not be specialized. And I needed to get specialized if I was going to work with police departments in America. Oh, yeah. um, that is the equation you never hear about. The piece of the equation, it makes me so angry. We always hear about is it blue lives matter? Is it black lives matter? Why does everybody get shot? But if you're all of a sudden, it's two traumatized groups coming together in a heightened moment that is not good. Neither person is okay because they're both sitting there in trauma. The first thing that happens when we go into fight or flight because we have trauma is that our prefrontal cortex, the place we plan and organize and think, goes offline. Right. You know, we get ready to respond and we don't think. And that's why those events constantly occur. It's not because police are evil. It's not because those kids deserve it. It's not, it's so, I mean, it's a lot of those things, but it's also trauma. Um, you know, they got to change the way that system works, but how do you define trauma? Oof. And you don't have the psychological definition. Right. I'm really curious. Yeah. I define trauma. Um, it's so funny. It's kind of like, it's nebulous, but I know it when I see it. Um, a person has had trauma if they exhibit, you know, these very certain set of symptoms. Like I see them go into fight or flight or get flooded really easily when we're talking about something. If they um, have escape plans, if they can't sleep and relax, if their body is waiting for that next thing. Then, then whether or not they had a life-threatening thing or they had a little T trauma where they got humiliated or, I mean, that's how I look. I, I look at, is your body going to go into trauma really quickly? Because if so, then you've had trauma, however you want to define it. So I, I really appreciate that. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't know if I shared this with you when we talked a couple of months ago, but we've really shifted a lot of our language because what we were told from a marketing perspective, right, which actually resonated really hard with me. Was it the problem, the solution, and the path kind of all need to be the same thing for simplicity if we want broad impact? Okay. Right? So like literally somebody was sitting in front of an element sign, which was my old branding, yeah. and yeah. I get on this meeting and 
out of the gate, first thing the guy says is, it's really funny that you're sitting in front of a no limit sign for a guy who has clear physical limits. Oh. Okay. I felt trauma response, the fight yeah. or flight going, yeah. like immediate need to defense and armor. I didn't do it. I took a breath. But what's interesting is, it's like through all of that, what was ironic is he was right. Our stuff was new comp- was too complicated. Oh, okay. So now everything falls under the guise of identify and take out the trash from your past. I have been wanting to ask you about this since I heard, yeah. I've, I've listened to your first two podcasts. How is, t- give, tell me what the term, what is trash? Is it, because it sounds like baggage, but I think it, it's a little so different. I think trash is primarily caused and tied to emotional triggers. Okay. So what I consider the trash in this and the trash in the past is yeah. the moments and moments that have shaped you in the place that puts you into a reactionary fight or flight state. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. And so a lot of our concepts that are going through this, but that's ultimately what we're trying to help everyone be able to do is to be able to right. flip open their lid real time, see what's risen to the top and be able to separate yeah. from what's happening in front of us. Because so often when we get in that reactionary state, one of the first yeah. questions that we just pause after a breath is, am I re- what, is what I'm reacting to right now due to what's right in front of me? Or the trash from my past. And immediately that one question right. centers and separates from many people. But where I was going with this, and my, my brain just yapped for one second. It's going to come back. Um, was to the comment that you made before a second ago. It'll come Baggage versus, versus trash. Yeah. Baggage versus yeah. trash. Okay. So you were asking me what trash was. Where I was mm. going with that was in the trash from our past... It'll come full circle. What was you were just talking about? Yeah. Trauma, you gave a great response, and my brain That's is okay. all over the place. That's okay. We'll go. It'll come full circle. So, um, um, so but you're saying it's like the triggers. So it's, I believe it's tied to the triggers primarily. So it's those moments. Yeah. But what is it also trash? The emotional narratives that are tied to it. The yeah. intellectual narratives that are tied to it. Right. The fight or flight response that we have. Now it came full circle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm trying to get people to recognize is, well, how do I know if I have trash or garbage? Yeah. Who was the last person who made you feel like garbage? Yeah. And you don't have to answer that question. I'm sitting here thinking it's been a long time. And that very first thing is like almost everybody can come up with a response. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, it was my boss or it was my spouse or it was this. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Take a breath. Right. Now, how did that feel in your body? And most people define a pressure, an emotion, a weight, like, oh, I felt heavy or I felt shame or I felt, no, no, no. Get into the physiological element of your body. What happens? Right. Well, my heart rate increases. I feel myself elevate and defend. I feel right. Like all of it, because until you actually in those moments can start to separate and understand what is the trauma response, what is fight or flight and what am I reacting to as well as what am I protecting right now? Right. Because almost always we're protecting something behind it. And the way you describe trauma and how you even like showed how it shows up my body and my life was in trauma for the last 31 years. Yeah. Part of the reason I think no pain exists is that for all of the things that you just said before, like I'm not in a reactionary state. anymore. I don't have armor and guard. I'm not worried about an outcome. There's a detachment and a surrender that exists. I have decoupled a lot of the elements that have shaped my beliefs intellectually and emotionally that's tied to the trash right. around pain, around anger, around shame, the roots of each one of those. Yeah. And so that's what I'm often actually talking about is that in trash, it's really about regaining the moment of reaction versus response because reactions create yeah. damage and create more trash right. and response neutralizes and diffuses it. 
Okay, I get it. I like it. I like the the like the reaction, reacting to things. That's what it is. Yeah. Because most people hear flip your lid and it's about an anger response, right? Right, right. We just want you to flip open your lid and see what's risen on top. Yeah. It's funny, I had to do so much work and I know you said you wanted to get sort of to what I what I went through. So it's it's a good transition to talk about like what is my residual thing that I've I've had to work on, which is you're gonna really laugh at. Um but so, you know, I was married for, to the father of my children for, uh, 13 years and he was, he struggled with addiction and he, you know, like thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of Americans got uh, addicted to opiates. And I think those must, I, I mean, I can't even take a Percocet without throwing up. So luckily I don't have a risk for that, but for some people it's, it's a very powerful, um, I will, I won't uh, take them myself Yeah, because They're, my body likes them too much. Yeah. It's, and I, see, I literally refuse to take them. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I had two kids, I was barely working. I was really wanted to stay at home with them. They were little and, and my ex relapsed one time and I was like, huh, okay. I not feeling safe. Had, I mean, there was no safety when you're married to an addict. And you know that any time that can come up, there it, there's no safety. For the purpose yeah. of safety, are we talking physical safety, emotional safety, both? Physical safety, I had. Okay. Just that sense of calm, like. Yeah. And I never knew because I lived with it how much I monitored all the time. It wasn't until I had been gone for a month that I realized sitting in um, like a chair that I was so happy because I was calm. I wasn't like watching. How much is he drinking? Is he drinking too much? How, did, did he fill that up? Did he not fill it up? How, is he is he okay? Even though, you know, alcohol wasn't the constantly problem, but that's what I, you know, constantly. The whole time. So eventually everything blew up. And it's funny because the book I originally wanted to write was going to be called Not the Happiest Place on Earth because I'm in Disneyland. So, so I'm at Disneyland getting ready to go to the park, staying at their hotel. And my ex, um, he got this look on his face that he had every time he relapsed. And I saw it and I just wanted to say, don't you fucking say a word. Like, I know it's about to come out and don't say it. Um, but of course, it was so much bigger than I could have ever anticipated. It was like, I have to go give up my medical license. Somebody's contacted the board and said, I can't, you know, that I've been using. Um, I've spent all of our money. It's gone. And by the way, I didn't get a contract on the new place that we just poured all of our money into. So I own nothing. I have nothing. I'm going off to rehab for probably months and months and months. And there's no money to pay any of the bills. Bye. And I have to go get an attorney. And I literally had to walk around Disneyland that day with my children, like walking around, riding rides. And you talk about the body. I couldn't eat for months. I mean, I could put a couple bites of what tasted like sawdust because, and I've been studying this for the last year, um, the gut brain connection. So, you know, we produce more feel good chemicals in our guts and our brains. So when you get serotonin for your brain, your it starts in your gut. Um, I couldn't eat. I couldn't. And it was, it was every fear I ever had, like a secret 
my secret that my husband, who's so successful, his surgeon is an addict. It's coming out. I was on the national news at like CNN following us because it made national news because the way the press spun it when they got a hold of it was that um, like local surgeon exposes thousands to HIV and like hepatitis possibly. It was a theoretical risk that somehow some story, one of the staff said that needles were being reused into the vials that then went into the IV lines, which would have to go backwards for that. to. But that's how the press distorted it. Um, Anyway, that uh, years of being totally broke, totally shunned. I mean, not shunned, but when you were saying like, who made you feel like shit last? In that year, I found out who my friends were. People were all really nice. Everyone was really very, very verbally nice. But I had friends who never saw my shithole rental that I got. I moved from when I rented my new little place that I I could afford because I couldn't afford anything. Um, my my father ha- actually helped me. Um, the woman who brought the contract over to my multi million dollar house and looked at it and knew where I was moving into. She goes, "What happened?" <laughs> I just I would just have to laugh and say like, "Don't do drugs." <laughs> but um, you know that year was. And this is going to sound crazy. That year was the best year of my life. I don't think it sounds crazy at all. It was, it was going from living a lie to being stripped of everything to having to intentionally decide, like, what do you want to do and who do you want to be? And if you looked at my life now, you probably wouldn't notice much difference. I have more money than I can spend. I wasn't searching for money. I have more love than I need. I wasn't like just looking for, but it's just, I don't have a secret. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not monitoring and controlling. I used to have to clean my house every day perfectly because that's what the only place I could control. And when I lived in that rental house, it was just a dump. I never made my bed and I loved it. You know why I never made my bed? Because I was so busy starting to live. You know, I decided to run a marathon. So I would get, I decided to build more of my practice. I decided to find some new friends. I decided to take a cooking. I mean, I just like started to, to live. Well, and I, I just love you, Shannon, and the way that you communicate. You know, you so subtly embed such deep wisdom in oh, every I appreciate answer. That. And even to the tail end of like the living and the abundance that flowed through it. And when you weren't searching and trying to control everything that you ever wanted, deserved, and were able to have is now existing in your life. And you deserve right. every bit of it. Well, deserve, I don't know, but no, no, but you do, yeah. but well, you deserve you. it. Yeah. You deserve it. Right. And so that's the yeah. piece as well that like I just want you to fully own. You deserve it. You are an I appreciate that. incredible heart. Yeah. You've made incredible impact yeah. on so many people's lives. You've saved so many lives. Yeah. So at the end of the day, 
what you just said is exactly the truth, which is it's when we start controlling everything, when we stop protecting ourselves, when we stop hiding behind whatever we think we can't stand in or we can't stand what the world is going to tell us what they think about what we're standing in. And when you can let go of all of that, yeah, freedom really does exist. I'm telling you, there's such power in losing everything you thought you needed. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe how fast I sold everything I owned. Yeah. Like you have this big thing, you bills, you got to pay. You've got this house, you've got your office, you've got your cars and your kids and your school and you, and you can get rid of it all in like a minute. Yeah. But what's so funny. So you're talking about this valuable concept of not getting reactive and opening up and being really without getting angry and looking at our stuff. And I still, to this day, and it's, you, you know me, so it's kind of funny, but I still have this trigger of money because it was such a money trauma. Yeah. So times your last year that was tough times a million. Yeah. Um, and then, and so even now where I'm the luckiest, I could not, I couldn't, I don't even want more. I mean, there's a lot of people with a lot more money than me. I don't want, there's nothing I want. I don't think there should even be this much equality. You know, we spend our days giving it away. Um, but I still get to a place when something happens and I'm off or I'm worried about something where I have to look at my husband and say, wait, so break it down for me again. Like we're okay here. And it's so silly and I have to do it. And he knows that for some reason against all intellectual yeah. capacity, what I'm saying is help me feel calm. Because this thing has come up. I did this wonderful exercise for people who are watching and listening. This was so empowering. Like whatever your money thing is that was mine from losing everything that still creeps up. And now it's just a friend to me. It it it, it just tells me like something's off. It's just a reminder to point you towards what's important. You just you just have to regroup now because if that's coming up, you've you're sliding back. Um I did this wonderful, uh wonderful I don't know, experiential therapy with, with a coach a while ago where I personified money. Yeah. I, and I had to like, think of what does, what does money look like? Is it female or male? Is it tall? Is it old? Is it young? I physically personified money for me. And then I had a conversation with it to thank it for things to, you know, tell it to fuck off because I'm sick of thinking about it to, mm -hmm. you know, but really to sort of embrace and let go and have a healing moment with whatever topic it is. So if your topic is anxiety, like make it into a person and talk to it and thank it, thank it for what it's doing for you. Because our, our trash, which you talk about, it's not all bad. No. It's really there to learn from. So that was so helpful for me. And that's what I go back to when I get in this, like, I go, okay, money. All right. Thank in you. Fact, I don't think that trash even needs no. a definition is good or bad. Yeah. All I try to remind everybody is that it's 99% of the time, not your fault. It just becomes your responsibility once you become aware yeah. of it or you start burying others in your trash. Yeah. But so much of it's generationally inherited. So much of it is cellularly embedded through moments of trauma yeah. that cause us to not be present with ourselves yeah. in moments. And so I believe that all the treasure in our life is also formed from all the trash pressure. 
I think they're the same moments that create some of our greatest strengths and some of the things that keep us stuck for so long. Yeah. And just again, even the way that you talk about it just empowers people to understand that. You know, I really love this shift that you're making and you've like so subtly embedded elements of like the freedom that you get to exist in your life today, which I think is beautiful. And that you get the opportunity to spend more time giving than worrying about other pieces like many others. And that's a gift and it's beautiful and you receive it. You know, all of that. Where's the most meaningful way that you're showing up and creating impact in your own life today? Yeah. And how is that feeding your ability to create impact for others through mm-hmm. all of the work that you and your husband are doing? right? Now? Well, you know, I just want to say that my like the financial piece is luck. Like I was born on the right street and met the right. That's not for everybody earning and working hard. Like you, you deserve much more. I mean, this is all the impact that I'm having, what I'm choosing for me. You know, my, my husband runs the big foundation and he's doing just, I just admire him so much. He's doing unbelievable things after George Floyd and after the zillionth, um, black or brown person got, got shot. And I've worked with, look, I've worked on both sides of all this, this issue. Um, but I decided intentionally that like, we're all talk about equality and then, and everybody's talking about DEI and Jedi and justice and inclusion and equality. And I really had like a, how, how can I help in that mission? And it aligned very much with what I did after my mother died, which is that I created a scholarship because education saved her. My education saved me when I was going through all that because I could go work. I could go build up my practice and make money and feed my kids. So I'm working on the board of um, it's called Denver Scholarship Foundation. And it's a huge organization, two unbelievable philanthropists left $50 million. To Denver Public Schools. And if you have a 2.0, so that's not like you just got through high school, right? But you want to go to college or trade school or a, a two year program, we will help pay for it. And all, and we now we have centers in every high school. So we'll walk you through it. This is how you apply to college. This is how you apply for grants. This is how you, this is how you go to college. This is, then we have now at every Colorado campus, somebody at the college for all these first generation, mostly black and brown students to get educated. That's that's how we even this playing field is we educate people who don't have the opportunity. And I'm super passionate about it. And if anybody has extra money and they're like, gosh, where should I put it? Go, go call Denver Scholarship Foundation. And um, we have now um, helped almost 10,000 people graduate from college 80 something percent success rate. It's just like, it's an organization that does what everything that I want for people, which is get educated, get a job, you know, help yourself, um, overcome, you know, everything in the past and, and make your life and your children's lives better. So anyway, that's what I'm, I'm kind of focused on now in terms of my giving, you know, and the rest of it, I'm just really trying to I've, I've, I've moved. Here's an interesting thing. I've moved a little bit from wanting just to live with gratitude into wanting to live with wonder 
And it's really hard because I, I find for me, I need so much novelty. Like I need to be in a new place doing a new yeah. thing or experiencing a new idea or having a, a conversation with to really feel that kind of awe and wonder. And um, so that's also sort of what I'm working on. Amazing. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think curiosity yeah. leads to creativity, connection, wonder goes back to even what we said before, being more interested than interesting. It's less about what we know and more about what we can be and how we can experience life and the wisdoms we can gain and the experiences we can create. Like your kids probably do it so naturally. Like So naturally. I think like living in wonder has to do with tapping into, you know, who yeah. we were before responsibility came yes. into the picture. And I think that's a yeah. really, really beautiful thing. So you're, you're, over these next few years, transitioning out of the work you've been doing for a yep. very long time and exploring and chasing what Shannon wants and who Shannon is and yep. continues to be and the impact that happens. You've done a lot of work with a lot of people. What are you going to miss the most about it? And what are you looking most forward to about having that period of your life be over? I'm really terrified by leaving the work because... Um, I mean, the secret about psychologists is that we have to, you know, have a professional air. But I have some people who have been seeing me off and on for 15 years. And I love my clients so deeply that giving up access to being a part of these amazing people's lives is like, it's overwhelming to me to give that up. But I also know it's become a little bit of a crutch for me. Like, I know I'm good at it and I know I create impact and I've loved these people for so long. Like, I shouldn't, I just keep doing it. But at this point, it's a crutch. It's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know that deeply. And just my intuition says like, okay, now it's just repetitive. So now you need to go do something else in order for me to grow. I have to give this up. And, um, and I'm, I'm really scared. Like I, I have a lot of trepidation about finding enough from life without the structure of work. So we'll see, you know, the good thing is if I miss it, I can go back or I can change it or I can find another job or who knows. So many of us who, learn to receive love, validation, connection through performance, right? Like really identify with the inability to be and to just do, right? And yeah. even what you just said, it's really interesting because it's like the systems that we create in our own life, the structures, the way we live by a calendar, the amount of hours, even how you described it all before, right? Like that all limits creativity. It all limits curiosity. It all limits wonder. Yeah. It all limits yeah. your ability yeah. to write. And, and I genuinely believe, again, it all comes from that protectionary place because it's what are we trying to hold on to? What are we afraid to lose? What don't we, what are we trying to control to keep ourselves feeling safe and protected? Right. right? While our armor is also further disconnecting us from what we really want, which is to be seen and understood yeah. and connected at the deepest level. Yeah. And so I think it's really beautiful to hear you explore that and to be so aware of like the fear that exists in it. Yeah. Um, what I'm really curious about is, is what does enough look like for you? Oof. I don't know. That's such a good question. Enough, enough what? Exactly. <laughs> it's not my definition. Um, 
enough. It's so funny you say that. I was just reading an article this morning about Finland, which, you know, for the last like nine years or six years, it's been the happiest place on earth. And they interviewed all these people. And one of the titles is like, they know when enough is enough. And, um, that is an interesting concept. I'm dealing with that with aging, you know, like enough, like what is it, you know, yesterday turning around before getting to the top of Camelback, you know, that was like a weird thing for me. I've never done that, but kind of, um, so I think I'm just really have to trust my gut and my intuition. And like, I realized, um, I don't know if this answers your question at all, but I know right now is not enough. Mm. I know right now for me, like I was having a discussion with my husband, I can't get up in the morning anymore, which I've been doing for years now and drink coffee and get on that fucking phone and read depressing things and play my game on the New York times. And I said to him today, I'm getting, I'm getting rid of my newspaper. I'm going to get up and get outside. The first thing I do in the morning is going to be to wake up and like get outside. Um, because it's not enough right now. I don't know what will be enough. I'm hoping that a combination of giving, um, trying new things. I'm going to, I have, there's a lot of classes I want to take, um, and getting really engaged in creativity and the connections in my life, making them stronger. You know, my pace, I have, you know, I created this for just real quickly. Um, I created a happiness kind of acronym I used to use in my head when I was working with people, like, do they have enough pleasure? Do they have enough accomplishment? Do they have enough connection? And do they have enough exercise? And I was always kind of looking for these pieces. And then one day I decided to like actually tell somebody so they could monitor their self. Um, so I have a lot of pleasure. Um, I need to kind of get the exercise up again because in my morning I kind of shut down a little bit. Uh, connection I need for sure more of. And I don't know what that accomplishment piece is going to look like. Will creativity feel like accomplishment? Mm-hmm. I don't know that yet. I well, I think that. it's interesting too, because it depends on whether accomplishment is from an external and an internal perspective and how that's viewed. And I would right. argue that your novel is an internal accomplishment on so many levels because of yeah. what you were able to experience through the process and regardless yeah. of what happens with that. Right. So I really appreciate the way that you even talk about that. Like yeah. it's, it's real, it's honest. You talk so often in your life about these moments that things came to an ending. Something stopped. You stopped something by choice or because it happened in your life. Right. Right. You're making transitions right now. And I have found that so often in my life, it's those necessary endings, those necessary closings and boundaries that exist based on who I am versus armor to protect Mm -hmm. is what facilitates my ability to continue to explore and to evaluate what's in front of me right now versus what I've been holding on to. You've done this so often. Yeah. Yep. And you have some things that you're very clear on that are closing or will be closing in the near part of your life. And you just talked about a variety of them, even in your like normal morning routine. Right. What are the other areas in your life that you think you need closings to continue to step into who you are? Um, you know, my goal is to, and it's impossible for me to even be aware of all the ways fear affects me. I think fear is such a, part of life and some of it's protective and we need it. Um, but I'm really trying to let go of my fear as a parent, Mm. you know, that worry that like, 
fundamental fear, like, is he okay? Is she okay? Are they going to be okay? Um, I would really like to, I mean, I'm an empty nester now, but they're all, they're all in school still. So they come home a lot. Um, and the closer I am in proximity to my children, the more that fear comes up because, Oh, is she, is she working out? Is, is he vaping? Is she still does, is he okay emotionally? And because of my work as a psychologist, I mean, it's so funny. One of the, one of the reasons I'm so good at, um, podcasts or, or doing that is because I'm, I work in hours. I get down to something in an hour and then wrap it up and say, okay, bye. See you next week. But, um, and with my kids, I kind of do like what's really going on. And then I, but that creates fear in me. And I really don't want to live in fear. It's so hard. It's so hard not to. That's why the second my book was done yesterday, I DM'd my friend as a writer. I'm like, I'm sending this to you. Cause, cause that the, the fear would be if I finished it and wouldn't let anybody see me. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, Hey, I love it. Here it is. Here's you, me. You, you just put it into action and you move something and you're, I mean, again, we, we say a lot of things in completely different ways, but it's about releasing it from ourselves. So we're not carrying it. It's, it's about communicating it out externally. And you, I just love it. I guess what I'm curious about is, how can you allow yourself and give yourself further permission to live even more in the present? I, I mean, isn't that so the goal? Yeah. I mean, that's what losing time is. That's what it's, it you're is. totally present. You're just here right now. Um, you know, I, I think I, I'm really hopeful. I'm really hopeful that that's exactly what I'm about to do. I think that, you know, I like just check every box, like retiring, empty nester, done finance, like I'm ticking the last one. And the mourning of my father, like that is a huge, that's really, I mean, it weighs heavy on my heart. Like I've been in a, so I think though, I've just started to wake up in the last three weeks. Like I, that part where I was numb, like you shut yourself down. I've, I'm waking up and yesterday, like I woke up with such energy, you know, I think being out here in Arizona and the sunshine and being out in nature, I was like, this is like when I said, I want to get outside, I got outside yesterday morning and I felt amazing. So I'm hopeful. Well, I'm really hopeful. I truly believe that even in your definition of seeking enough, it's all in the present. That is so true. And, so, and, so I, well and, I, and I, I asked yeah. that question, my friend, because I feel like that's where you're about to shift into. Right. Because your experience, you now have contrast and understanding. You know what it feels like to yeah. lose perception of time. And in your entire life, you've never had that chance. And so now you can play and you can explore how to further deep root yourself in this exact moment. Because, yeah. by the way, it's the only thing that's fucking real. It's That's it. Right. I mean, fear only exists in the past or in the future. It never exists in the current moment. Right. With the exception of like clear physical harm and things that we all respond to. But, but in theory of the concept I'm making, right. That's, that's all I would throw back to you as, as as a friend is continue to seek the present. Yeah. And if you think about the experience of wonder, it cannot be anywhere but the present. That's my point. Yeah. Everything you've talked about exists in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and hear so, you. you know, that's where I would tell you that my greatest level of surrender has been to exist in the moment 
and the flow that you talk about, the creativity, the downloads exist when we're open and present. Well, that's I, the only yeah. thing they do. Well, I want to say before you wrap this up that I absolutely adore you and what you do for oh, people. Thank you. I mean, honestly, like you're who I would have aspired to be if I'd enjoyed it. You know, that's sort of, you know, I feel like I got on that path and it wasn't authentic for me, but it is so totally authentic for you. And like you do on a bigger scale, what I love doing hour by hour individually. And you're so approachable, you know, and you're so real and you did the work yourself. I, and I'm still doing yeah. it. <laughs> I, mean, I know anyone who says, any, I'm sitting here going like, no, no, no. Like I'm still dealing with shit. Anyone who thinks work is ever done. That's yeah. I remember a beautiful lesson my father gave me, which is really nice to be able to kind of wrap it, wrap, you know, my well, journey with closing thoughts. So this is even the best part to say it. My father once, um, and this is before, this was when I was a kid. He came to me and he, he was reading, I think it was from Passages or some old help, self-help book from a zillion years ago. But like the first few lines were about life is hard. Mm. And it. once you accept that life is hard, it gets a little easier. I just love that concept, you know, to normalize hard. And then the rest is like, what do you find in the moments between that? And how do you like embrace the joy, even though? Just gave me chills. <laughs> it's the truth though. I mean, yeah. it's the absolute truth. Like yeah. we are all human. Yeah. We're all going to screw up. We're all going to experience pain. Yeah. We all have experienced pain, right? We're all going to experience love, disconnection, isolation, right. alone, fear. That's the thing. We are so normalized through the things that aren't normalized to talk about. Yeah. We all exist in the gray area. Every yeah. one of us. Yes. And yes. when we can recognize that and exist in that, it does change things. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting you even talked about that because that lesson from your father is beautiful. Yeah. You know, recently people have been asking me, they're like, how are you? You know, I, I had a couple of tough months in, in a period of time leading into this. And it's like, well, I'm really good, actually. I'm learning to be super connected, clear and centered amidst the chaos that is life. And like exist what else can in you it, do, around right? it and through it, but recognize that the chaos, which I've always tried to control is never going to go away. No. Because that's not life. No. Like it's, if that's the expectation, you will always be miserable. That's right. But if you can recognize that life has all of these beautiful interwoven elements that connect each and every one of us, if we're open to exploring it, normalizing the conversation around it and opening ourselves to be mm -hmm. in this moment. Yeah. Magic happens. Amen. I love you, my friend. I love you. You've right had back. such a big impact on me in so many little ways that I've shared with you. But yeah. I'm so happy that you invested the time while you're here seeing your son that you so were able fun. to squeeze in time for me. It's, of course. It's amazing. Of course. I wouldn't I wouldn't have missed it for the world. And I can't wait to see what you're gonna do in the future. Well, hopefully we're gonna do a lot together in the future in different ways. <laughs> impact is what it's about, no <laughs> right? matter what the Right, is. right. So well, and please know, just before you go, how many people in my practice have benefited from me talking about your one of your major lessons, which is that you have to approach pain to avoid suffering. I've used that from you and it has made a huge, huge difference. So thank you. Thank you, my friend. And for those of you who just watched Shannon flip open her lid and jump inside, which she's been doing for a very, very long time, I think the biggest and clearest takeaway is that if you want ultimate freedom, if you want freedom of expression, freedom of you, freedom of your power and your potential, 
freedom exists only in this moment. And it's hard when life happens and we have cellular and physiological and chemical things within our bodies that cause us to feel like we are fighting everything. It's in the moment of surrender that freedom exists, not in the moment of fighting. But it requires you to continue to be honest with yourself, seek and stand in your truth, flip open your lid and scan. Thank you.